0: Good morning. How are you doing this morning? Everybody doing well this morning? Praise God for uh, Thanksgiving. And I want to say to you, Merry Christmas. It's on its way. I don't know why we only celebrate that one month out of the year. We should celebrate what Christ did, came to the world. <laughs> that should be celebrated every week. So, but in any case, Merry Christmas to you. Big day for us in the Brown household. Uh, we get to find out today what our grandchild is. There's a gender reveal. It'll be male or female, and we're looking forward to that today. And uh, grateful that, uh, so I suspect in some form or fashion, you'll be able to find out um, what our child is and who that child is. And we're excited going for a Christmas tree up to Oldenburg Tree Farm in uh, Michigan. Anybody else go up there and get a tree? It's a great place. If you haven't been there, just north of Middlebury. So big afternoon for us. We're looking forward to that. Uh, I'm excited about this message as we wrap up this series in Psalms. P.S., wise words uh, to those uh, who will listen, I should say. And, and so as I've been processing through thinking about what psalm will we pick from 150 psalms, we narrowed it down to six. And today is a psalm that's referred to as a mictam. It's not even a word that you've probably ever said before. Maybe you've seen it in your Bible. It's a Hebrew word, and only six of the psalms are called mictam. Tams, M-I-K-T-A-M. And at the top of this psalm, you'll see this. The word itself is sometimes translated to mean golden. And so David is the author. And then you'll see in Psalm 46 through 50 uh, where more miktams are. But the truth of this passage, David is trying to remind us that nothing happens by chance. It didn't happen by chance that you showed up today. It's not by chance that you and I connected today, and it's not by chance that anything else happens in your life. I'm a firm believer, and I think the Word of God attests to that, and you would probably attest to that too, that God is fully in control of our world. And you'll soon see, as David writes, some truths out of that context and that belief that God is providentially in control. When you and I settle that issue, that everything is fully in control, or in control in the hands of our God, It helps us to live with hope. We don't wake up in uncertainty wonder if we're going to make it because God has so many promises in his word that he will prevail, he is with us, he'll never leave us nor forsake us, and he promises to work all things out for good. Like, if that's all you get today, in Jesus' name, amen, go home. That's good enough. That's a message in itself. God is in the details of your life. We have thousands of them, but one that stuck out this week for me was the time the Dan and I were back in Winona Lake and we were in the middle of seminary. And in those days, it, it was very, very difficult for us to buy extra or have extra. God provided everything we needed. And I can remember sitting downstairs in our house on Pope Avenue and longing and wishing that I had books and commentary. They're very expensive if you've ever gone to school and had to purchase them. And we didn't have the resources to buy them, so I was borrowing them, going to the library... And I remember sitting downstairs thinking, Lord, it would be so good if I had these books that I don't, didn't need to spend time, more time away. I was working full-time as a carpenter. I was a full-time student. I was a full-time father and a full-time husband. And I was trying to do my best, and we were trying to get on the other end of that. In the meantime, I was wondering and wishing I could find some books. Our phone rang in our house before cell phones. This is 30-plus years ago. And I answered the phone, and on the other end of the phone was this man who says, Are you Jim Brown? I said, Yes, I am, sir. He said, My name is uh, Stephen Dearborn. And he wanted to say his name was Dr. Stephen Dearborn. And I said, Okay. I said, what, What's up, Dr. Stephen? I figured he was a professor uh, at Grace. And he went on to tell me he used to be a former professor at Grace College, he was a seminary professor. And that he was retired, had been retired for a while. And he had a library that he felt like God wanted him to pass on to someone. It was doing him not the value that it used to. And he decided that he would give them to me. So he says this, I got your name. I called up Grace Seminary. And I asked them for a name of someone that they would recommend could use some books. So out of all the students that were there, they gave him my name. And he said, would you like to have the books in my library. I said, yes, sir, I would. So he gave me his address and I got my Ford F-150 truck, got a hold of Josh. He was just a toddler at the time, put him in the front and rode along. And we found ourselves at a house in Warsaw we had never been to. And I walked into this house and I met the man for the first time and thanked him. I figured, you know, it'd be a couple books, commentaries. I was grateful for anything. We walked into this room, that was office and he says, see that wall and see that wall. 15-foot wall, 15-foot wall, about 10-foot high. He said, I'd like to give you my full library. Okay. (laughs) Needless to say, I packed up all those books. He had boxes and one by one carried them out of the house and put them in the back of my Ford F-150 truck. Took them home and put them downstairs in this rented house that we were living in. And I sat in the middle of these books and said, only God can do this god had prepared and given me and i've passed hundreds and if not thousands of those books on since then god prepared for me a library that i was longing for because i was sitting in my basement downstairs just crying out just saying lord it'd be nice to have some books and god allowed someone to talk to someone to ask someone who used to teach here who moved here who had retired and i moved in and Ann and i moved in nothing happens by chance when you're a child of god David is reminding you of uh, that truth today. Turn to Psalm chapter 16. I'm ask you to stand in our auditorium. Those of you, Elkhart Campus is joining us today. Can we say hello to the Elkhart Campus? They're joining in with us today too. Would you stand with me as we read Psalm chapter 16? Let's read it out loud. So I want you to think through the lens. Just don't just read, but think through the lens that God is fully in control. David is writing with that thought in mind. And so he's speaking out these words as they're inspired in errant word of God, carried along by men, by the Holy Spirit, carries these men to speak. So David is writing, penning these words. There's only six times that there's a mick Cam, tam. And David is writing, trying to tell us, God's in control, God's in control, God's in control. So think through that lens as you hear him write this psalm. Let's read it together, Psalm 16. Ready, read. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You may have a seat. God is providentially in control of all things. David is writing that. Stop and consider that truth for a moment this morning. That means nothing, absolute nothing, that comes our way is a surprise to God. It might be a surprise to you when we receive that award as a church today was a surprise to me as church of the year, had no idea that was coming. That was a surprise, but it wasn't a surprise to God. He has known about your day right now. He knew, he knew that right now, where you're seated. In fact, look around and turn around and say hi to someone behind you. Sometimes they come in and say, hey, how you doing? They knew. All right, come back, come back, come back, come back. And dudes, if you're single and there's a single gal beside you, introduce yourself to her, Okay. And if he's got a a Bible and he's sitting in church, you need to get to know him today. (laughs) But nothing has happened by chance in your life. Nothing, absolute nothing has happened by chance today. God is never, think about this, God is never a spectator in our lives. It's not like God just kind of just says, I'm gonna create you and and you're gonna be born and and he just allows it born and he says, good luck. no he doesn't he doesn't roll out just roll us out and let us go no he's fully in control of our lives in fact when i was a kid one of my favorite christmas gifts ever 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 got ever ever in fact i remember thinking if i could just get that gift like if i could get that i'm dating myself here and some of you have joined me in this dating process here you understand when i date myself I always wanted electronic football game. You guys remember that where you could put guys on it and they would vibrate? How many? Come on, how many? How many remember that? The rest of you are like, you, you've missed out. Your childhood is isn't what it could be. But I remember praying and thinking, oh, if I could just get that for Christmas. And my parents. One Christmas, I went down and there was this box about this big, and and I opened it up. I just about passed out. I was so happy. You laugh, and I'm not. I'm kidding. I just about did. It was, it was the Redskins. Yes, they were the Redskins. And the Cowboys. And, and, and there was these pieces. And if you've ever seen the game, you put them on, and then you would spin this dial. And then your offense would go against the defense, and it would vibrate. And so the guy who had the ball would move until another defensive man hit. In fact, I got a picture I would take. Right there. there. <laughs> you guys remember that game? That's the best game ever. Like, best game ever. That's not how our God operates. He doesn't throw us on the playing field and turn us on and say No, he's fully in control. And so you might be saying, well, Pastor Jim, then if he's fully in control, then what about free will? Don't we have free will? Can't we make bad choices, good choices, all choices? Yeah, how do those two work together? Let me define what I would say providence is first, in fact, this is a message you'll want to take notes because th- this is foundational in our biblical worldview. Let me define the word providence. Providence is the governance of God by which he, with wisdom and love, cares for and directs all things in the universe. I'm going to repeat that. In fact, go ahead and take your phones out and take a picture of that. That's a good reminder. Every morning you can remind yourself of this truth. Providence is the governance of God by which he, with wisdom and love, cares for and directs all things in the universe. The doctrine of divine providence, which with David is writing this Tam psalm from, asserts that God is in complete control of everything. Now, let me just pull away from a human perspective. I will admit there are times with my feeble mind and your human mind that we can stand back and look at the world and say, but... God if 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 you're in control then why that then how come I've been dealt this card and how come those people over there and haven't heard and how come my kid can't make it back and why is this pandemic and why did I get fired and God if you're fully in control then why is sin running so rampant in our world why are there thousands of other religions if you're in control just whack them God Isn't that what our minds wonder and think? Because, and and then Romans remind us, many are the mysteries of God that we'll never be able to fully comprehend. You see, the reason I believe that God is fully in control is because God's word says that, but I choose to believe in divine providence not because of what I see, but because of who I know. What do I mean by that? God's a perfect God. And his character has never been up for grabs. He is perfect in every way. I choose to believe not based on my emotions, but on God's character. And God is a good, good God. I'm going to give you some examples and write these down. You can look at them later of, of, of that, that, that I would say from Scripture that demonstrate that God is fully in control. Psalm 103:19 says he is sovereign over the entire universe. Write that down. Look at it later. Psalm 66:7 says he is sovereign over the affairs of the nations. Not just America, but every nation. Galatians 1:15 says human destiny is controlled by God. That's all mankind. Luke one fifty two says human successes and failures God controls. So God is fully in control of everything. In fact, let me just give you some other thoughts to think through. Providence is a tricky thing because one can easily over-define it to a point where we are simply chess pieces for God to move around on a chessboard. No, no, no. God's not a puppeteer that we're on strings, go this way, don't go that way. No, no, he doesn't. And he's not a, he doesn't put us as chess pieces on a chessboard and he moves us. To make matters trickier when we try to define the whole providence thing, one can also underdefine providence, and I would say to a deistic level, where God is merely an observer, having set events in motion with the winding of creation's clock long ago, and just says, okay, I put everything in motion, but I am removing myself. Now, go do what you want. I got it started. No, no, no. God is an imminent God. He's, he's, God is with us. God is for us. God works, God will never leave us nor forsake us. Neither of those two definitions is satisfactory though. I like what Paul Tillich said in regards to providence. He said this, he says, providence is a permanent activity of God. Just hang on that, permanent activity of God. He is never a spectator. He always directs everything toward fulfillment he's never just a spectator he just watches and hey go go have it he's always 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 directing it towards his fulfillment so no matter where you're at no matter what decision you made and I made God is going to take that all those choices we made he's not just going to say good luck No, he's going to say, I'm going to work this towards these decisions that you made towards my fulfillment. By the way, praise God for that, that we have a God that's fully in control of everything. Let me just pull away and say this, though, because I know where this discussion can go. God is not the author of sin. He does not tempt anyone to sin. James 1.13 reminds us of that. But hear me out. Listen, this is important. If God's fully in control, He does allow a certain measure of sin in our world. God does allow sin. Now, He could have chosen a whole other plan to to, to not have sin at all, but He didn't. He allows a certain measure of sin in the world. And even though He hates it, He does allow it. Okay, let me say it this way. While God God does allow sin to take place, he promises to work it out for a greater good. That means he allows us to have sinful choices. So we do stupid things. Amen? I'm number one. We do do dumb things. We we do sinful things. He allows us that free will to sin. But the promise is, because he's not a spectator, God, and saying, good luck. No, he, he, he's involved. So he promises to take even the things that we've done sinfully, hear me out, and work it out for good. Can I get an amen for that? Where would we be otherwise? We would be doomed to hell. So you say, Pastor Jim, well, give me an example. Like, sounds great, but tell me what the Bible said. Okay, let's go Joseph's account. Joseph had some brothers that were very jealous of him. They didn't like his varsity jacket that his dad gave him because it had nice colors to it. And so they were jealous. And what did they do? We need to get rid of him. He's, he's the fave. <laughs> and so what they do? Just, just break it down. They, they attempted murder. <laughs> they, they kidnapped. They, they lied to the father. And they concocted a story that said he's dead. Like, you'd be locked up for years, wouldn't you? But God, listen to me, allowed them to do all that sin. And out of those sinful choices, what would happen years later? What would happen? Joseph would be leader in Egypt, and there would be a famine in the land, and Joseph's brothers and his dad, they were, they, their, their crops were, were toast. And they were hungry, and so they were trying to get some favor. And because they sinfully did these things to their brother, God allowed that to happen, and Joseph worked his way up that many years later, they were fed because of the sinful things they done. Only God can do that. Uh, I'll give you another classic example. Judas. God allowed Judas to sin and he worked out Judas' sin for greater good. Well, Pastor Jim, how'd that happen? Well, what did Judas do? They came to said, hey, Judas, we'll give you 30 bucks if you let us know who Jesus is. $30 back then, 30 pieces of silver. So what did Judas say? The text says that he went over and he said, hey, Jesus, good to see you gave him a kiss immediately what happened soldiers came in tied him up what happened next he got he went on a trial he went to a cross and died on a cross he was buried for three days he was resurrected you see what happened because of Judas being allowed to sin he pointed out who the redeemer would be and Jesus rose from the grave and because Judas sinned God put it into a greater good and those of us who know him today are saved forever Come on, come on, that is incredible. So take that home. We've done some stupid things in our lives and listen to me, we will do more stupid things. Now, that doesn't give you permission, just keep doing stupid things. (laughs) But because God is a providential God and he's fully in control, he allows that. He's fully aware of it from the foundation of the world. And he has a fulfillment, a greater plan in motion that takes in effect our free will to make choices. David is getting that here. The primary way God does that, accomplishes his will, is what we would call secondary causes. This is important. Secondary causes are the laws of nature and human choice God accomplishes his will through secondary causes just the laws of nature that are in motion and human choice God uses our choices indirectly to accomplish his will secondary causes yet often he trumps everything with his direct will it's called miracles And I believe Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I believe our God can do miracles today. And some might not. You want to know what the greatest miracle is? Suppose today at the end of the service, someone came walking at the end of the service, and they came, and their leg was six inches shorter. And they walked down here, and they wanted prayer, and the elders came, and they prayed. And as the elders prayed, that person's leg grew back, and, and the person went. We would just go bonkers, wouldn't we? Like, holy cow, look wow, did you see that miracle? But suppose today at the end of this service someone comes forward and they want to talk to me and they would say, Jim, man, I heard this message today and there's been this tug at my heart and, it, and I just feel like I need to talk to you and, 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 and then I talk to them and find out that they don't know Christ and that he's an old man with an old heart and a, a sinful uh, flesh and, and And I tell them that you need Jesus and Jesus can save you and you can have eternal life. And they they trust in Jesus Christ and that person is saved. And I say, guess what? Someone got to say, in your mind, be very honest, which one would be more miraculous? I say the most miraculous thing to ever happen is a dead man now headed to heaven forever. That's a miracle. Yes, God does miracles say, Saul's conversion. Look at, look at Acts chapter 9. Here, to, God's direct will. It wasn't any secondary issues. Look with me at Acts chapter 9. Here's, here's another example. Here's God's providential work taking place. Sometimes he jumps right in and he does directly his will. It's not an indirect, secondary. Look at Acts chapter 9. We, if you know the story of Saul, Acts chapter 9, before he became, before Paul was Paul, he was Saul, and it says in Acts chapter 9 and verse 1, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, believers, whether men or women, this is the early days of the church, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem and eventually kill them. So he was looking for Christians to kill. And it says, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly, suddenly, just out of nowhere, a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, Saul asked. The response is, I am who? What's your Bible say? Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into this city and you'll be told what you must do. The truth is, he was saved in that moment. Not There were any secondary issues. It was a direct intervention of God miraculously, and he says, it's time. I'm doing it now. God can and does and will, but he doesn't always. But he is fully in control. So this is where this discussion leads, and I'm breaking this providence down before we read this because I think it's important because David was writing from a providential mindset, a worldview to say God is fully in control. So this is where this discussion leads. If God directly, or if God indirectly orchestrates all things, then that removes free will of men. That's where it goes. Like, okay, if God... So, it doesn't even matter what we choose. Like, why choose? It's because anyhow, his will will be accomplished. And so, that's where the discussion, but you can't just stop there. Or to put it in other words, we could say this. For free will to be meaningful, instead of God working it out the way he wants, there must be some things that lie outside of God's control. Because If he works it out the way he wants it anyhow, then that's really not free will. We might think we're getting what we want, but ultimately he gets what he wants. So there's got to be something that lies outside of God and his will. Otherwise, it's not truly free will. But if that's true, let's just say that's true, and it isn't. If that's true, then how can God guarantee our salvation? And if God is not in control of all things, then all of his promises are in doubt. Promises, like what? He'll never leave us nor forsake us. That we'll have eternal life if we trust in him. You see, Hebrews tells us that God cannot lie. In fact, Hebrews 6.18 says it this way. Just just listen to this. This is is the description of God not being able to lie. Author Hebrew said, so God has given us both his promise and his oath. God has given us both his promise and his oath. In other words, it's going to happen. And then the author says, these two things are unchangeable because God cannot lie. And if our free will can trump divine providence, if it can't though, then who ought to me is God? We are by the way and we're not if free will can ultimately trump it, trump god's will then we are god but it sets into motion the completion of god's will this should bring great comfort to you today and it is it will to david here and it should bring security and hope your walk that God will work all things out for good to those that love him and maybe instead of trying to figure it all out just rest in God's arms that he knows what he is doing right now okay bring it home last couple days uh, have been really hard for my mom I have a text thread with my siblings and most of you know mom has dementia she's in a home and, and my sister sent me a photo of my mom that just broke my heart. She's laying in the bed and to be brutally honest, her depends were soaked and my sister found her like that. Every part of me is angry. There's a party. of you says, Jim, you're letting your mom down. Mom always took care of me and us. And being so far away is so hard. And as I'm watching this, and I just, Jamie, quit sending pictures. I don't even want to see the pictures. And so my sister rushed over to the home and went right to the desk and demanded that someone come in and take care of my mom. You see, when I see that, my mind and my emotions say, God, if you're in control, then how in the world is that your will for my precious mom? It's in those moments that the collective knowledge of my God, who's a good God, that I can pull away, not emotionally, but biblically, with a worldview that understands God and say, my God promises to work that out for good. Do I understand that? Do I hurt? Absolutely. Are there some moments when in the middle of the mess that you wonder if you can go on and you're in pain and, and you, you, you have these thoughts, God, are you really? Probably in control. Yeah, 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 yeah. But hear me, we can bank on God because he will Work it out for good to those that love him. And my mama loves Jesus Christ. David fully understood this picture of the choices that he made. Fully understood what it was like to be chased down by Saul when he's appointed to be king. And he's writing from the character of God, not his present emotions. Psalm 16, David gives these promises that I think, I, think, I think we need to be reminded of them. It was good for me as I was prepping this message. came back, okay, God, I believe this. God, I believe this. God, I believe this. And I know that your will will prevail. You see, sin, hear me out. Sin has twisted everything in our world. Sin has done all kinds of damage to our world, but we have the promise that one day he will wipe away every tear and we will be with him forever and there will be no heartache, there will be no pain, no sickness, no disease, just eternal life in a perfect place with Christ forever to those who call him by name. Amen. So I rest on that truth. So what did David say? Look, this, Just quickly look through. Look, here it is. is. Verse 1, he says, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. The word refuge is just protection is found in you. He declares the promise that God is his refuge and strength. David says, I know who I will call on even when I'm hemmed in, even when I'm being chased by Saul, even when in the middle of my sin, God, I, I take refuge in you because you're a providential God. You will take care of me. So in the middle of rejection, after a hard telephone call that you might have received, God is your refuge at seemingly the worst time that this could ever happen to you, the news that you get from a far land, hear me out, God is your refuge. When you seemed to have hope and then it gets dashed because of a choice of someone and you wonder, hear me, God is your refuge. And on top of that, he promises to work it all out for good to them that are called by his name. Amen? Amen. You see, we got to go back. That's our worldview. That's why in the middle of this pandemic, listen, I I don't care. The Delta variant, now we got the Omicron. That's another Greek letter. I don't care if every letter of the Greek alphabet and every variant appears, God is in control and we're okay. Why? Because our God is a providential God. Verse 2, another picture of what he believes to be true. He says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Do you realize without God, nothing makes sense in our world? Would you agree? what's the purpose of life if we don't have God? David is saying everything and everyone else pales in comparison to our great God. Verse three, look what he says, he moves on, he says, look at these beautiful pictures of, of God's providence. I say of the holy people who are in the land, God's people, they are the noble ones in whom is my delight. He's looking around. And he said, The community of believers is a beautiful gift from God. That, that that when you walked in today, isn't it great to sit in a fellowship of believers and worship God? Isn't it great to grab a coffee and catch up? Isn't it great when someone notices you and says, Hey, good to see you and praise with you? That's why it's so important that we meet together. That's why the author, Hebrews, said in Hebrews chapter 10, do not give up meeting together. And, but prior to that, in verse Verse 24, he says, so that you can encourage others. And David has a community of believers. And so we have a place to run to, people that understand and say, you know, God's good. I'm gonna be there for you. Hold on, we can make it together. There's nothing like having a brother or sister that comes alongside, sends you a text, calls you up, gives you something to eat and says, we're here too. That's a beautiful picture of the body of Christ. And David is saying, I don't care what comes my way. This community of believers is so good. The author of Hebrews reminds us of that truth. Verse 4, David says this. Look at verse 4. He says, those who run after other gods, little g, will suffer more and more. I will pour out, not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. You see, he's saying, I have no reason to go to any other God. It's only Yahweh, Jehovah. It's our God. He is a good God. Only God brings eternal pleasures. He says, I will not even give space in my mouth to another God. If you travel the world, if you go to Asia, they got these shrine houses everywhere. And these people come each day, monks and, and, and Muslims. And, and people come and they drop off pineapple and food. And they, 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 they light incense and it smells everywhere you go. And it's like somehow that they're going to appease their God. Like somehow, please do something. They're hopeful that somehow, listen to me. Our God is fully in control and promises you don't need a pineapple to have him care for you. David says, I have seen what happens to those who chase after other gods and it ain't pretty. (laughs) Oh, it's pleasurable for a season. This phase of sin is fun for a season, isn't it? But one day it will come crashing down because God is good on his promises. Then he says in verse five, look, here here it is again, more providence, he says, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot, what's your Bible say? Secure, it's a reference to election, predestination before the foundation of the world, Ephesians one that God chose, got elected and, and he takes the, and, and selects us to be his children. He says, I thought about you, God, he's reminding the people that God thought about you before you were born. And in, in Revelation, it says that God was slain, Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world. He said, our future home in heaven doesn't hinge on what we do for him, but what he has already done for us. My lot's secure. There was a funny Seinfeld episode many years ago, and I actually found it in... in it explains what I'm talking about, about our lot being secure. and I'll just read the lines and let you run through it with me, but Jerry is calling up this rental car agent. So he picks up his phone, and this is Jerry. He said, hey, I made a a reservation for a mid-sized car. The rental car agent on the other end of the phone says, okay, let me see here. I'm sorry, we have no mid-size available at the moment. Jerry responds back, I don't understand. Do you have my reservation? The rental car agent says, we have your reservation. We just ran out of cars. Jerry says, but the reservation keeps the car here. That's why you have the reservation. The rental car agent says, I think I know why we have reservations. The episode closes with Jerry saying this. I don't think you do. You see, you know how to take the reservation, you don't know how to hold the reservation. And that's really the most important part of the reservation, the holding. Anyone can just take them. David says, my lot is secure. In other words, not only do, do, we, do we have this reservation in Christ and his work on the cross, but because of the work on the cross, God takes that and he holds that. And once we're in his grip, this eternal grip in John chapter 10, no one can take us from this secure reservation called eternal life. Amen. It's secure in the eternal grip of the three in one. Nothing or no one. Don't worry about it. No one else can come and say, I need a midsize. I need to get to heaven. No. Once you're in, you are sealed in hell and your lot is secure in the redemptive work of Christ on the cross. Amen? Yeah. That's the picture. See, only a providential God could do that. Verse 6, it just keeps going. It's like, man, it just keeps building on. He says, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. David is looking forward to the Messiah who is yet to come, and he's saying the best is yet to come. Let me help you with something here visually for a second. In the Old Testament, if you read the Old Testament, you wonder, why is there so much blood? (laughs) Like sacrifices and lambs and goats, and, and they put them on an altar and they just bleed everywhere, and there's just blood everywhere. Have you ever wondered why? Because in the Old Testament, listen to me, fast forward, Christ hadn't gone to the cross yet. So everything in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. So they needed something to cover their sins. So symbolically, when they took this unblemished lamb and the blood flowed from the altar, it covered their sin and they took this blood and put it on their door frames of their homes if they were followers of God. So that when the death angel came flying through, if the blood of a lamb wasn't on the doorpost or the door frames of the house, then you were dead. So it covered you, it protected you. David says, "I'm looking forward towards the Messiah. You see, we have 2020 vision. Now us, New Testament, we look back. We don't need to go out to, the, to our fields and get some sheep and make an altar and, and get some goat and, and throw them up there and get some blood and go splash it all over our garage door. It'd be a mess today, wouldn't it? Like, why' you got blood on your garage door? Well, you want something to cover first then? No. Jesus already came, listen, shed his blood, died on the cross. And it says by his blood, we accept that redemptive, that perfect work. He did for us what we can never do for ourselves and what they were doing in the Old Testament. He he was the sacrifice. And now if we say, you know what, I'm not going to let worry about if I'm covered, I'm going to accept the work of Christ, and then that through him, we live. That's good stuff, and that's good preaching. I don't care what you think. That's good stuff. (laughs) So he says this in verse 8 through 10. Look what he just keeps building. This is so good. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. Why wouldn't you? (laughs) With him at my right hand, he's a providential God, I will not be shaken. Why? Because he's large and in charge. Verse 9, therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure. You don't need silly Peter. You got Jesus at night protecting you. Verse 10, he says, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. The Hebrew is Sheol or hell, New Testament. In other words, I'm not going to hell because Jesus gave me that free gift called salvation. Nor will you let your faithful one lie in decay. And because of this, he is saying, listen, grace community, we will not be shaken no matter what is happening in our world because our God's in charge. That's why the author in Hebrews said it this way, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe because our God is a consuming fire. I love fire. Fire. Last verse and this voice is so good. I wish we could just keep going. Verse 11 says, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with your joy and your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. David knew he would die, but he knew that someone would come. This is prophecy. In fact, the first, listen to me, the first message preached in the New Testament in the book of Acts was spoken by Peter. First message for the early church. And he refers to this. Basically, David said, from my line of the it will come and through him the world will be saved. God's providence would bring forth Jesus through the line of David. Just look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 6 to 17. There it is. So what would I say for you as we walk out of here? Everything in your life everything that comes your way every choice that you will make our great god promises to work it out for good to those that love him he is bigger than you ever thought thank you jesus thank you for your providential care in our lives thank you for the way that you watch over us thank you for the truths of your word Thank you even when it doesn't make sense and we're hurting and we're aching and we're in pain and emotionally we're distraught. That we realize that we're not at the end of this. That we're maybe on chapter 20 of chapter 30 and that we can cling to the promise like David did looking down the road that there was a Messiah that would come. We already know that you've come but we know that you're coming again. (laughs) Oh God, wrap our minds around in a fresh way even when we doubt and fear that you are bigger than we ever thought. In Jesus' name, amen.